All right, if we could open our Bibles tonight, we're going to be looking at uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 14. 2 Chronicles chapter 14, these three chapters we're going to look at tonight, 14, 15, and 16, all comprise the life of Asa, who was a king of Judah, and he reigned um, from around 910 to 869 B.C., a total of 41 years. And Asa was a, a, a good king. In fact, um, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go ahead and start right off in verse 14, or chapter 14, verse 1. Notice what it says. It says, So his father, Abijah, rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And the city of David, as you know, is Zion. It's the place just south of the Temple Mount today. In fact, if you go to Israel with us next year, um, you'll be able to see his. You'll be able to see Zion. They've uncovered it. They've uncovered the palace, and a lot of the uh, the tombs that the, all these kings were buried in. They they know where they are. We believe, and they're right there in the sides of the cliff. And there's nothing in there today, but you can see where they were buried, and um, a really wonderful place to visit. And um, so Abijah rested with his fathers. They buried him in the city of David. And then Asa, his son, reigned in his place. And in his days, the land was quiet for 10 years. Now, Asa is going to be one of these reformer kings. He's going to be the first one that we're going to find in Judah. The, the northern 10 tribes, they were, they were lost. And, and they would continue to be lost. But Judah, they had uh, seven or eight good kings, and, and, and many of them were reformer kings, people like Josiah, Hezekiah, certainly Asa, and, um, and others. And, um, and it was right on time, too, because Judah began to slip into idolatry, and certainly Abijah and uh, Rehoboam, they were already on their way in, in these areas of idolatry that God had told them to stay away from. And you know, if you think about it, God is not jealous in the sense that he's upset that you're worshiping somebody else other than him. He, he's very comfortable with who he is. He, he doesn't have an ego problem. But here's the thing. He knows that if you worship anything but him because he is the creator... You worship anything else, and whatever that thing is that you worship, other than God, it will ultimately destroy you. Because you will get your eyes fixed on that. And, and it could be something even good, in a, you know, with asterisks, you know, or with, with you know, quotes here. It, it could be some good thing, but it's not God. So even good things, apart from God, can turn you away eternally from God. And it could be a fairly decent thing. It doesn't have to be a devil. It doesn't have to be an idol of some kind. It could be anything that keeps you away from the one thing that God knows is good for you, and that's him. He knows this because he created you. And that our greatest place, our greatest blessing is obeying him and living in obedience to Christ. Because there are blessings in obedience, and there's also consequences for disobedience and rebellion. And if we look in 1 Kings, um, in 1 Kings chapter 15, only 16 verses are given for Asa. This, um, uh, but the author of Kings gives um, Asa 16 verses, like I said. 
in 1 Kings 15, verses 9 through 24, and uh, in 2 Chronicles 4 through 16, are dedicated to Asa's reign. And you can see here just a list of, so far of, of the reigns of the different kings. And he reigned for 41 years. And, and while Asa, this is interesting, because while Asa reigned for 41 years in Judah, there were eight wicked kings in the northern kingdom that came and went, including Jeroboam, the progenitor of their idolatry. And so verse 2, notice what it says. Asa did what was good in the eyes of the Lord, good and right in the eyes of the Lord. And this is the first time, the very first time, in Judah since Solomon that the Lord says this. In fact, in 1 Kings 15, verse 11, it tells us this. That Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did his father David, and he banished the perverted persons from the land. These were homosexual prostitutes uh, in the temple, or in these temples that they made, and that's how they worshiped their God. We, we see it today. I don't know if you noticed. Uh, in our culture today, it's, it's very much alive. It's the same spirit um, that is causing people to worship by... Um, with the same sex. And notice that he removed all the idols as well that his father had made, that his fathers had made, and he also removed Maacah, his grandmother, from being queen mother. And why? Because she had made an obscene image of Asherah, and Asa cut down her obscene image and burned it by the brook Kidron, which is, if you were to look at, um, over here is the Temple Mount, and then right to the east of it is this valley, and it's called the Kidron Valley. And there used to be a stream that would go down there. And then on the other side of that is another hill, and that's the Mount of Olives. And that's where the Garden of Gethsemane is. Look, you can look right over and see the, the, the temple uh, from Gethsemane. And, and that's also where Jesus ascended into heaven after his resurrection, you'll recall. And so... That is where, and so Asa cut down her obscene image and burned in the brook Kidron. And remember, only a few good kings, and I'll just list a couple. There's Jehoshaphat, there's Jotham, Hezekiah, Josiah, and there were other uh, kings as well, but these are the reformer kings. These were the really good kings. Notice in verse 3 in our text again, he says, For he removed the altars of the foreign gods in the high places, and he broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images. Now these pillars and wooden images were for the worship of Asherah, a female Canaanite deity. And, um, and these pillars and poles were Canaanite fertility symbols. And a lot of these were shaped in a phallic way, in, in, a, in the form of a phallic symbol, uh, as, a, as a symbol of fertility. And so... Uh, they just kind of put everything out there. And, uh, and so it was an obscene thing. And Asa was, uh, tore it all down. He tore it all down and removed it from the land. And um, in Exodus 34, beginning in verse 10, this is what God had told the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. He said, make a covenant. He says, behold, I make a covenant, God says. Before all your people, I will do marvels such as has not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among you are, are um, excuse me, and all the people among you, among whom you are, shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out before you the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, 
and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Take heed to yourself, notice, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. Did that happen? Ultimately in their history, did that happen? It did, didn't it? After they settled the land, they didn't drive them completely out, and it became a snare to them. But notice, he goes on, and he says, But you shall destroy their altars, you shall break their sacred pillars. So this was the, before the Israelites even came into the land, this was the prevailing worship, the pagan worship that was happening. And the Jews, they, the Israelites, they assimilated that into their own worship and kind of morphed it into this kind of twisted, weird stuff. But you shall destroy their altars, break down their sacred pillars, cut down their wooden images, for you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. I love that. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods and make sacrifice to their gods, and one of you take of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods, and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. You shall make no molded gods for yourselves. So God is warning them. He warned them ahead of time that this is what you're going to see. This is what you're going to experience. And you've got to burn it. You've got to get rid of it. Don't even play around with it. And see, there is something about the human nature. We, we like to get right to the edge. We're not satisfied somebody telling us, don't touch that. It's way over there. Can you see it? It looks shiny and it looks new and it looks appealing. Don't touch it. And what do you do? Get a little closer to it. Get out the binoculars. Hmm, that looks interesting. Get a little closer to it. Get a little closer to it. Next thing you know, you're about 100 yards away. You're looking at it. Getting a little close to it. Next thing you know, you're touching it. Then you're embracing it. Right? Right? And that's the sickness that's in the human heart. Notice back in our text in verse 4, it says, He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. In other words, read your Bible. So Asa is telling them to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. He's encouraging them to do what? To get back into the word of God. To get back into the Bible and to get their heart in order to begin praying again, developing their relationship with the Lord. Are you doing that? I mean, it's something that you got a purpose. You can't, you know, just say, well, it's just going to happen by osmosis. You know, a little here and a little there. No, it doesn't work that way. You know this by now. If you've walked with the Lord for any length of time, you know that if you take a couple days off, your heart gets a little cold. It's like an ember that's taken off of a fire and it sets over. It used to be hot and now it's just getting kind of charcoalish, a little bit of an ember there. You can see a little bit of red, but it's dying out. But you've got to stay close to the Lord. Stay close to him and stay in his word daily and, and be a, a man or woman of prayer and be in fellowship with others who feel the same. And we also need to get out and get our hands dirty too from time to time and share that message with the world. So notice in verse 5, he says, he also removed the high places, underline that, he also removed the high places, underline that, and, and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah, and the kingdom was quiet under him. Now, there seems to be a discrepancy because in 1 Kings chapter 15, the parallel account to this here in 2 Chronicles, it says this, but the high places were not removed. 
Nevertheless, Asa's heart was loyal to the Lord all his days. So there seems to be a discrepancy because this says that he removed them or didn't remove them. And now this one's saying that he didn't. So which is the truth? Is it a a typo? Probably not. And here's why. He probably did remove those uh, high places. But later, sometime, the people being accustomed to those high places and used to worshiping in the way they want to, as soon as he tore them down, when nobody was looking, they began secretly to rebuild these things. And as a king, you can't keep track of your whole land like that. It's not like you got little, you know, sit back in your office with a bunch of, you know, screens where you got cameras everywhere and looking at these places of worship. It doesn't happen. And so they began to put these things back up. Stubborn. Anybody know that word stubborn? <laughs> Is there anyone here who can resemble being stubborn? I can re- reminds me of me. That's right. So that's what probably happened. So, and this gift of quietness is often given when obedience to God is observed. And, and, and that's true. There are blessings for obedience. I would encourage you just to be obedient. And you know, being obedient to God is never easy. In fact, it's usually harder to be truthful. It's usually harder to be obedient. It's usually harder to stay on that narrow path that leads to life rather than the broad path that leads to destruction. Many are on that path, but it is not easy to stay on that narrow path. Your enemy is always seeking to trip you up. He's always seeking to put a snare at your feet. He's always seeking to tear you down and to find your weakness. And let me tell you something, the enemy knows our weaknesses. God is a spirit, and Satan also is a created being, and he also is a spirit. And do you think for hundreds of years, for a few thousand years, he's been studying people? He's watched, he's he's encouraged you to dabble in strange things. He's encouraged you to do evil things and he saw you do it. God saw it too. And Satan knows where that little needle is in your heart and he loves to stick it in there and stick a finger in there and twist it and get you to stumble. And he he does a very good job at it, but don't you give him any room. So there is this gift of quietness that God gave to Asa because of his obedience. He didn't seek his cabinet. He didn't look to the men around him and say, hey, do you think this is a good idea? No, as a leader, he stepped out and he did the right thing and he could care less what anybody said. You gotta get in line because this is what we're gonna do. And that's what a leader does. He didn't select a committee and think, you know, is it a good idea? Is it going to upset people? Are they going to leave my kingdom? What am I going to do? Ace's heart was, I don't care. I don't care if there's three people following me and 100,000 leave. I'm going to do what's right because it's the right thing to do. And you know, that's the heart that you and I need because the world doesn't think that way. The world doesn't think that way. It's true that sometimes um, being obedient to God stirs up a lot of trouble. Like when Gideon tore down his father's image of Baal. Remember that in Judges chapter 7. Gideon tore down his father's image and there were people wanting to kill him because of it. And his father had to step in and save Gideon's life. 
And so sometimes doing the right thing is the harder thing to do. And you may find yourself in a hot seat, but so be it. So be it. Make the determination today to do the right thing, to follow Christ and to not give up and to do what he says even if it's going to cause some pain in the temporary, believe me, the long-term blessings are there. And it's also true that when we rebel and we do these awful things, that there's also a cost for those too. And those things have a ripple effect. And we see that all throughout the scripture. So it's important to do that. But Asa, notice verse 6, he, he, he fortified the cities in Judah, for the land had rest, for he had no war in those years. Notice, because the Lord had given him rest. Evidently, the first ten years of his reign, there was peace. And it's in times of peace that fortifications need to be made because peace doesn't usually last a long time. In this world, on this side of the millennium, <laughs> peace, we may have short times of peace. So during times of peace, you need to shore up your, find out where your holes are and start filling in those holes to build your foundation, to restore your foundation. And happy is the man or the woman whom God gives rest to. Has he given you rest? He's given me rest. Now my life is very busy, but I've got rest in my soul. And there's the difference. Rest in your soul you can't purchase. People try drugs and sex and alcohol and every other thing under the sun trying to get peace in their soul. But that peace can only, it's, it's a Christ-shaped peace in your heart that only he can fill. And we look for love in all the wrong places and it never gets us anywhere. And we all know this because we've experienced it, unfortunately. But in the Christian life, it's true that there are periods of intense activity and then there's periods of quiet and rest. And when the Lord gives you rest, rest. When he gives you rest, then rest. Verse 7, therefore he said to Judah, let us build these cities and make walls around them, Asa said, and, and towers and gates and bars while the land is yet before us because we have sought, notice, he knows the reason why, because we have sought the Lord our God, we have sought him, and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and they prospered. And Asa seems to understand why the Lord was giving rest. It was, it was because they were seeking him again. And notice it, that it, they didn't remain idle, but they shored up their defenses uh, on their northern border, because they, they set up bars and gates and towers on their northern border, because the northern tribes were their biggest threat. No longer was it serious so much in their northern border. It was their own brothers. It's kind of a shame, isn't it? They had to shore up their borders. That's what good kings do. They protect borders. Verse 8. And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah who carried shields and spears and from Benjamin, 280,000 men who carried shields and drew bows and all these were mighty men of valor. Notice that Judah and Benjamin were, um, conf um, were confederate against the northern ten tribes. 300,000 from Judah, 
280,000 from Benjamin, 580,000 total, more than a half a million. And then Zerah, verse 8, or verse 9, excuse me, the Ethiopian, came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots, and he came to Mereshah. Now, Mereshah was located about 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem. If you were to look at a map and you found Jerusalem, uh, you go uh, about 25 miles southwest to this place called Mereshah, and that is exactly where you'd find it, down there in the southern part of Judah. And this invasion of Zerah, the Ethiopian, occurred sometime around 901, 900 BC, 10 years after the beginning of Asa's reign. So, verse 10, so Asa went out against him, and they set the troops in battle array in the valley of Zephathah at Mereshah. And Asa cried out to the Lord. Notice this. He cried out to the Lord as God, and he said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you, and in your name we go out against this multitude. O Lord, you are God. Do not let men, man prevail against you. Do you notice the language there? Very little talk about us. <laughs> God had made given promises to the Jews, and many of their neighbors knew about this. And he's like, you know what? Who cares about us, Lord? This is about your name's sake. Help us. And this is about your name. Let no man prevail against you. He had, Asa had this relationship with the Lord, and he understood it. He was also jealous for the name of God more than the name of Israel. And see, I think that's something important for us today, too, to have more of a heart for God than even the United States. I love my country. I'm a patriot. And I love my country. But one thing I love more than the United States is God. He is over all. Amen? We have dual citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we're also a citizen of the United States of America, the Republic of the United States of America. The Republic of the United States of America. Verse 12, so the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly how the Lord struck the Ethiopians, but he did and Judah went after them in their despair. And this is a common refrain in the history of Israel. The Lord did this many times in their history. Sometimes he used nature against their enemies, thunderbolts, lightning bolts, um, hail, large hail. Sometimes he used uh, nature, and sometimes he just sent an angel. Think of how terrifying that would be for the enemy to see an angel fighting for them like we see in Gideon. Where an angel went out, an angel of the Lord went out and, and, and slew several thousands of the Amalekites. They're recorded in Judges 7 8. Can you imagine what that must have been like from their perspective? I mean, what, what did they see? Did they see anything? Were they just falling over? <laughs> or did they see a man with a sword who was invincible? And no matter how many people tried to pile on him, that he would have the victory and the mastery over them. I'd be interested to find that. Lord, can you, re can you rewind the tape? Let's watch it again. And just put it on a loop, right? And get out the popcorn, right? 
Verse 13, And Asa and the people who were with him, they pursued the Ethiopians to Gerar. So the Ethiopians were overthrown and they could not recover, for they were broken before the Lord and his army, and they carried away very much spoil. Now these two cities, uh, Gerar um, and uh, Mereshah is over here, uh, just right, right in the middle of the, the country, right between the Mediterranean and the Dead Sea. But if you go further southwest to the city of Gerar, over by the side of the Mediterranean there, that is where they pursued them. And then verse 14, they defeated all the cities around Gerar, for the fear of the Lord came upon them, and they plundered all the cities for there was exceeding much spoil in them. So there was already the enemy from the south of Judah had already had these embankments, these fortified cities that they had already infiltrated down there in the south of Judah. And so now Judah is recovering all of those things. Verse 15, they also attacked the livestock enclosures and carried off sheep and camels in abundance and returned to Jerusalem. And it's interesting that Judah would have, after this war, after this incident, Judah had no more war with Egypt or, or Ethiopia or those, that group down there until Josiah, you know, in, in, um, in 609 B.C. There would be no war with them. And the Ethiopians, uh, the Egyptians, they got sorely defeated here and they never bothered them for quite a while after this. But the enemy will not be victorious over God's people. Aren't you glad? Ultimately, the enemy is not going to have victory over you. I love what it says in Psalm 34. It says, The angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear him and delivers them. In Exodus chapter 15, it says, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel. This is after the, the, the Red Sea incident where Pharaoh and his armies were drowned in the Red Sea. Then Moses sang and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord. And they spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him a habitation. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sink into the bottom as a stone. I like that. You can't have victory over God's people. Not for long. You can have, you can bruise their heel, but he ultimately will crush them. And they are the apple of his eye, Israel. And that's why they exist to this day. God has protected them. And, and not only Israel, but also the church itself. God has made promises to us. Remember when uh, up in the Caesarea Philippi, there was a, 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 an idol worship center up there, and Jesus and his disciples were in that area, and Jesus asked his disciples, who do, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And Peter says that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he says, well, well done, Peter. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And upon this rock, you are Peter, you are Petros, you are a small pebble, but on this truth, on this rock, Petra, on the rock that, 
of the truth that you just said, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, on, upon that truth, upon that Petra, upon that rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's made that promise to us too. Isn't that wonderful? Now, this is really uh, encouraging too, because let me tell you something. Do you remember the horrible things that the first century church went through? You read the epistles. You read the book of Acts. You read history. And in the first century, the church was hunted. They were captured and they were taken into the Colosseums and they were tied to poles and lions came out and feasted on them. And they, sometimes they wrapped them in, in, in cloth and they lit them as like candles for their entertainment services. And they did all of this. And yet, Jesus said, prior to all of that, he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. That's interesting, isn't it? Because we think that when we stub our toe, oh no, the gates of hell are prevailing against me. Or when we go through something difficult, hey, listen, the first century church went through a great deal more than we will probably ever see. Perhaps. But we are called to persecution. I don't know if you know that. Sorry, it's the truth. We're called to it. And it's going to happen. Just a question of when. Doesn't that make you want to sign up? See, if I was trying to bring more people into the church, I would conveniently slip that out of the message. I don't want to talk about that. But that's the truth. And we've seen a little. We've seen a little... But I think as time goes on, church, we're going to see more. And now is the time, like in this time of peace, relative peace, that's the time to really shore up your defenses. Get into the word of God and pray to God and have him build you up. Give him, have him give you courage and understanding. Now is the time to do that, not in the middle of a battle. The time of battle shows what you're really made of or what you prepared for that battle many years prior to that. So let this be now a time when we are at relative ease to really build and build and build our roots down deep into, into Christ. Now is the time. Verse uh, chapter 15, it says, Now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. Now here is an Old Testament reference to when the Spirit of God uses someone to speak into the life of a king or a nation, to encourage them and to warn them. And the Holy Spirit, honestly, has been active all throughout history. But notice that the Holy Spirit came upon Azariah. The Holy Spirit, back in the Old Testament, didn't indwell the believer like we have today. That's one of the blessings of the church, uh, the church age, is that we are indwelt by the Spirit of God. David and the others, that the Spirit of God came upon them at different times. They were believers and they were going to go to heaven. But they, we have a unique thing that happened to us in the church where the Spirit of God actually indwells you. And then there are times that he comes upon you. He comes and he empowers you for service. He gives you boldness in times that you need boldness. He empowers you. He baptizes you in his Spirit at times. When you are before people and you're not even aware of it, you just start opening your mouth and sharing the words of, of God to them and all of a sudden the Lord is just lighting you up. And maybe you've experienced that. 
And you may even feel like you're just like, something's really exciting is happening, and all of a sudden, you've got everybody's attention. That's the Spirit of God. And that's him emboldening you. And see, that's what we need. And, and it's there for the asking. And just ask God. Say, Lord, fill me today. I need you. I, I, can't, I can't live this life without you. I want you to baptize me every day. As often as you will. And, and I don't need to even know, Lord. I don't even need to. I'm not, I don't even want to be concerned about it. I, I just want to live and I want to walk with you. And I want to walk a, have a life of purity and honesty before you. And you just do it. And just help me to be a willing, open vessel. And that's really all there is to it. And then just enjoy the ride. <laughs> just enjoy it. But the indwelling of the Holy Spirit was a feature of the church born on the day of Pentecost in 33 AD. Every believer who has been indwelt by the Spirit of God, they're born again. The Spirit of God is in them. Remember Jesus said that? He said, the spirit of truth, he, he's, he's, he's walking, he's walked with you, he's going to be in you, and then he will come upon you. Those three different relationships with the Holy Spirit. It's important to know that. We looked at that when we were in John's Gospel a couple years ago. But notice, verse 2, he went out to meet Asa, this prophet, and he said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him... He will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will forsake you. I don't like that. I'm going to scratch that out of my Bible. For a long time, Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest and without law. Sounds like America. And when in their trouble, they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found by them. And this, unfortunately, was the common refrain during the time of the judges. They, 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 they fell into idolatry. God brought uh, chastening upon them, through, usually through enemies invading them and, and, and dominating them. And then they would cry out for help. And then God would raise up a deliverer, a judge, a savior, lowercase s. This, the, the judge would deliver them. And God would be with that judge. And then there would be a time of peace. And then the whole thing would start over again. They would get back into idolatry. They'd be attacked by their enemies. And it would just continue, continue. It was literally like that for about 400 years. And that's the way it went. A horrible time of history. And America's in that same place. We need a savior. <laughs> And it's not Donald Trump, and it's not any other GOP person. I mean, uh, certainly um, good things can happen in our country, but the Savior that we need is the one who already has us, is Christ. And in those times, there was no peace to the one who went out, nor to the one who came in. But great turmoil was on all the inhabitants of the lands. So nation was destroyed by nation and city by city, and God troubled them with every adversity. But you, be strong. And, and here's the prophet telling them, uh, Asa and Judah and Benjamin, but you, be strong and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. And you know, be not weary in well-doing, Right? That's the idea. Keep going. It, it, it is an uphill battle. And you're going to have to strike out when no one else is going to follow you. You've got to do the right thing when nobody else is supporting you. 
There's only one who may support you, and that's God. And that has to be enough sometimes, because even the church may not get behind you, but God says, this is what I want you to do. Then you do it. You do it. I love when the Lord does this. He, he, he rehearses before Asa God's faithfulness to those who walk and are obedient to him. And this is not only an encouragement, but also God making Asa and Judah accountable. Accountability is a really interesting thing, isn't it? When God tells you this is what's going to happen if you do this. And here's how I'm going to bless you if you do this. That's called accountability. He tells you ahead of time, so when it comes to pass... You're already aware of it. It's like the laws on the books today. You know, you drive, you know, 75 and a 35 down five mile line and you get busted. You're going you're gonna to go straight to jail. <laughs> 75 and a 35. I mean, they'll just probably burn your car alongside the road. Put you in the paddy wagon and put gas and oil mixture over your car and <laughs> you did it really bad. They'll just send you to Gehenna, Right? Verse 8, and when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Oded, the prophet, literally, um, this is um, Azariah, the son of Oded, okay? He took courage and he removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had taken in the mountains of Ephraim. Ephraim's in the northern ten tribes. And he restored the altar of the Lord that was before the vestibule of the Lord. This vestibule is right just in front of the uh, holy place. Uh, right between the altar uh, out in the courtyard of the temple and the, the front doors of the, of the temple. It's that little area right in there. And I love this because the Lord knows when his servants need some encouragement and he makes sure to send someone at the right time. Have you been the beneficiary of counsel, encouragement at the right time? When you are just feeling down in the dumps and all of a sudden some brother or sister comes up and they say something, they do something, Maybe they bless you with something at a time when you're feeling pretty low. And see, God knows those times. He knows what you're feeling. Nobody else can see it. Your wife and your spouse can't even see what might be going on in your heart and how downcast you may be. And that day, the Lord does something to just lift your head. He's like, I'm with you. I haven't left you. I'm with you. And here's a little token to let you know that I care and I love you. Because I know you're having a bad day. Verse 9, then he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those who dwelt with them from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon. Notice this, for they came over to him. So now these people in the northern ten tribes, there's a handful of tribes where these people are now coming into Judah. And this is awesome, uh, for they came over to him, uh, to Asa, in great numbers from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. That is called a witness. They know that what they're doing up there is wrong. Jeroboam and all the other kings up there, they're, they're serving idols. And they're like, you know what? We didn't sign up for this. We remember when we went to the temple and there was peace and there was joy and there was this feeling of cleanliness in our hearts and our minds. And now we're, we're surrounded by all this filth. I got to get out of here. And that's exactly what they did. And many people who were led by Jeroboam and the kings of the north had had, they'd had enough of the rebellion, the witchcraft, and they came down to Judah and Benjamin. And you know, there's always a faithful remnant. 
in every place of darkness. There's a faithful remnant. Verse 10, so they gathered together at Jerusalem in the third month, in the 15th year of the reign of Asa. This would be around May, June time frame in 897 B.C., around the same time as the Feast of Weeks, or what we would call Pentecost. That was about the time frame of this. Verse 11, and they offered to the Lord at that time, notice, 700 bulls and 7,000 sheep from the spoil they had brought. Now, these animals that they're speaking of, that they're sacrificing, these were the Israel spoiling of the Egyptians that we read about in 2 Chronicles 14. When the Ethiopians came, when they went down to Gerar and those other areas, they took those livestock and they used them. And they used them for sacrifices to God. Verse 12, then he entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all of their heart and with all of their soul. Notice, well, that's not a bad idea. It's a good thing. And whoever would not seek, notice the zealousness here. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death. <laughs> whether small or great, whether man or woman. Then they took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting and trumpets and ram's horns. And no, no doubt they were zealous, which... Hallelujah for that. You know, the church could stand for some zealousness, you know, to get excited about who it is that we serve and who, who God is, who Jesus is, what he's done for us. We could stand to have a little bit of fire lit underneath us too. But they were zealous, which is good. But in time, unfortunately, they would fall back into idolatry. And if you read, you have an opportunity to go back to read um, uh, you remember back in Exodus 32, it was the time when they had, uh, they, they worshipped, they, they took off their earrings and all this stuff and Aaron fashioned the golden calf and he says, out came a calf and then they worshipped it, right? While Moses and was up on the mountain with God, remember that? Well, that happened in chapter 32. Back up to chapter 24, and this is exactly what the children of Israel said. They had made a covenant, and I'll just read it to you briefly what they said. They said this. And now he came, and now, uh, now he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all of his judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has said, we will do. <laughs> we will do this. And you know, I, I don't put them down so much because I find that we are just as fickle as anybody else. There's no different. We're all made the same. These people back in chapter 24, we'll do anything, we'll serve God, you know, and we're, they're all excited. And then just a few chapters later, they're worshiping a calf again, completely against what God had said. And so they're doing the same thing here. But thank God they're awake and they're alive, and at least they're making the effort. They want to do the right thing, and hallelujah for that. And you know what? God blesses them for that. And notice verse 15, And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul. And notice, and he, God, was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. See, God knew their hearts. He knew how fickle they were. But you know what? He rejoiced in the baby steps that they took. And see, whenever we take a step of righteousness, God applauds that. Now, he knows that you're going to mess up, perhaps down the road. 
But is he, with that knowledge, does he go, oh, man, it's just a waste. Don't even bother. You're going to mess up next week. What's all this? See, that's not God. He's fanning that flame. He's like, yes, yes. Keep going with that. I, I, I want to light that up. And see, that's the way God is with us. And he doesn't worry about the, let tomorrow be, worry about tomorrow's troubles. <laughs> tomorrow. Don't think about them today. But he's excited about your heart today. Because you can make changes today. You can change others' hearts today. And notice Asa, verse 16. And he also removed Maacah, the mother of Asa the king, from being queen mother because she had made an obscene image of Asherah. And it just seems like this uh, amazing thing, isn't it? They, you, you try to tear this stuff down and people are putting stuff back up. And Asa cut down her obscene image, probably a phallic symbol or some kind of uh, symbol of fertility. It could have been a, a, a nude uh, something, you know, a nude woman, um, Asherah, this Canaanite female deity. But he cut down the obscene image and then he crushed it and burned it in the brook Kidron. So much for honor thy mother and thy father. <laughs> this is one place where you, can, you don't have to honor your mother and father. Just like Gideon, when he saw his father's uh, altar to Baal, he tore that thing down. God told him to do it and to offer a couple bullocks on that altar and to tear it down. And he honored the father. <laughs> he didn't honor his dad because his dad was doing wrong. What his dad was doing was wrong. And God the Father said, now you honor me and I will honor you. And so here even, he had to honor even his grandmother. He had to tell her, you're done. Or the queen mother. We're not going to tolerate this anymore, mom. But the high places were not removed from Israel. So earlier in his reign, he removed them because the Bible tells us that he did. But now they're coming back. And there was only so much Asa could do. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was loyal all of his days. And he brought into the house of God the things that his father had dedicated and that he himself had dedicated, silver and gold and utensils. And there was no war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. And so we're going to get into uh, chapter 16. Uh, now, uh, it says, in the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Baasha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah. Now, Ramah is this border town uh, right near the border of the northern and the southern tribe. And, and he did this that he might let none go out or come in to Asa the king. Now, the way that this is, is if you were to look at a map of where this is, this is really interesting because... Right here is the border of the northern ten tri or the northern kingdom, and then the southern kingdom's down below here. But Ramah is right here, and so the Baasha comes and he begins to build uh, this town, hoping to infiltrate and cross over into the border, giving him more of an advantage against the southern tribes. And it just happened to be a place where roads meet, so it was a very popular place. And notice. And this place is located about six miles north of Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is like right here. And then Ramah is just six miles north of that. And, um, and this formed, in a sense, a blockade for those traveling from the north 
down south into Judah because Baasha was seeing what was happening. He's like, these people, they're my people. And they can't go and serve God. I want them up here. Let's serve our false pagan demons. Let's serve them. I don't want people going on there. So what does he do? He goes down there and builds a blockade in Ramah. That's exactly what he does. Keeps people from having free will to go and worship God. Sounds like a really nice guy. Then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord. Now notice, here is where we see a chink in the armor of Asa. Up to this point, he was doing fantastic. And then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house. And he sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt at Damascus, saying, now remember, think of this geographically, you've got... Uh, Judah here, you've got the northern ten tribes here, and then you've got Syria up here. So uh, remember that. You have Syria, and then the ten tribes of Israel, and then Judah down here. So think of that in your head while we're reading here. So he sends gold and silver from the house of God. He sends it to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus. And he says, let there be a treaty between you and me. And as there was between my father and your father, see, I have sent you gold and silver. Come now and break your treaty with Baasha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So it's a very clever thing, you would think, in the natural, that is. So here, Judah's down here, Israel's here, and Israel's making inroads here into into the northern part of, of Judah. So Asa gives the king of Syria money to come and start coming invading Israel in the north. And now Baasha has got to stop what he's doing and he's got to tend to that guy. <laughs> he's got to engage in battle. And, um, and here is uh, the unfortunate departure from faith and trust in God that Asa did because instead of relying on the Lord, Asa relied on Ben-Hadad, king of Assyria. I mean, didn't God... In, in verse uh, 15, or roughly, in chapter 14, didn't he deliver them from the Ethiopians? There were over a million of them. And did God deliver them when they humbled themselves? He did. And now you've got some, you know, couldn't they just pray to God? I wonder what would have happened if Asa just had a big prayer meeting and says, let's go seek the Lord. The Lord would have dealt with it. The Lord would have dealt with it. But instead, he relied on the arm of the flesh instead of the spirit of God. We always get in trouble when we rely on the natural and we stop relying on God. We'll just put it on the credit card. We'll just do this. We'll just do that. You know, done. You know, we don't seek the Lord. We'll just get a loan. And there's plenty of warning in God. And let me just read one of them here. In Jeremiah, you can write the other one down, Isaiah 31, 1 through 3. But I'm just going to read Jeremiah 17, 5 through 10 here because this is the unfortunate problem of not resting on God, but rather resting on the arm or the strength of man. This is, thus says the Lord God, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. 
For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters. Does this sound like Psalm 1 to you? It's exactly where he got it, or exactly where, yeah. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. He shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And then the Lord answers his own question. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. So we see it. Verse 4, so Ben-Hadad heeded King Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. They attacked Ejan, Dan, and Abel-Meim, and all the storage cities of Naphtali. Now, basically, all of these cities that he's attacking, again, geographically, here's Judah. Here is Israel, the northern ten tribes, where the Sea of Galilee is, or the Lake Chinnereth, they call it, or Tiberias. It's also named that. Right around this area, the king of Assyria comes and he starts attacking their cities up there. So Baash has got to leave his campaign down there and harassing Judah. Now he's got to go tend with him. And it happened, verse 5, when Baasha heard it, that he stopped building Ramah, this place where he was trying to build a blockade to keep the people from going down and worshiping God. He wanted to hold them back into their idolatry. So now he's got to go back. And then King Asa, verse 6, took all Judah, and they carried away the stones and the timber of Ramah, which Baasha had used for building. And with them, he built Geba and Mizpah. So this is interesting because, again, you look at a map here, and you'll see that uh, all the timber and all the materials that Baasha brought to build Ramah here and to cut off uh, people from coming down, the Asa and the children of Judah take all those materials and begin to fortify these two cities on either side of it. A really uh, good way of using resources, right? So at that time, Hanani, the seer, came, and the seers were called prophets later on, but uh, at that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because, and, and whenever a prophet comes to you, it's, it's usually not a good idea. It's usually not something good that, that they're going to say to you. Oftentimes there's correction, there's warning, sometimes even judgment that's coming. So if you see a prophet coming toward you back in this day, you'd better start praying. <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> How did I mess up? And so the Lord speaks to Hanani, and he comes to Asa and said to him, and God says this through the prophet, Because you have relied on the king of Assyria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Assyria has escaped from your hand. The idea here is, I would much rather have given your enemy, Syria, into your hand, but now they are departed, and now you know, you're going to fight against your brothers? And he says, um, were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Remember we read that back in chapter 14? The Ethiopians, the million man strong army. And God's rehearsing this for him. Well, what about them? You remember them? Uh, he says, you remember, with very many chariots and horsemen, yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord, here's a great verse, run to and fro throughout the whole earth, to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. 
And this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. Ouch. An act of disobedience, a lapse of faith, a lapse of trust. And the truth often hurts, doesn't it? And now Asa, we're going to see, is going to get angry with God's messenger. And instead of humbling himself, he takes, out, uh, takes it out on God's messenger. And Hanani spoke truth to power. Do you see that? He wasn't afraid that what the, the government was doing was wrong. And he spoke truth to it. When he had the opportunity, he did it uh, peaceably and he did it respectfully. But he spoke truth to power. And this is what Joseph did back in Genesis. This is what Nehemiah and Daniel did to uh, Nebuchadnezzar and others. It's what John the Baptist did to Herod. It's what the Apostle Paul and even Jesus standing before Pilate spoke truth to power. And we need to speak truth to power. And we do it God's way. We don't pull out a gun and get our way that way. No, you, you be respectful. You, you share the truth and you speak it respectfully. You can get angry in your closet, but when you get before them, you tell them the truth and you tell them the truth very plainly. You're making them accountable. Speaking truth to power. Notice, and then Asa was angry with Hanani and he put him in prison. For he was enraged at him because of this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. And, and we see this behavior exhibited in other future kings of Judah and their interaction with God's prophets. We see uh, King Zedekiah of Judah doing the same thing to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 38. You can read that chapter. And he does the same thing to, Ju to, to Jeremiah. Zedekiah gets so mad at Jeremiah because Jeremiah is speaking truth to him. God's trying to get a message through to this king and he's not listening. He's not listening, and so he puts him in jail, in the stocks, in the mud. And then finally, verse 11, note the acts of Asa, first and last, are indeed written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. Didn't we read that in 1 Kings 15? Remember when we were in 1 Kings? We already read that many moons ago. We read that, and we read a portion of it tonight even as well. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet. And his malady was severe, yet in his disease, notice, he did not seek the Lord but the physicians. So instead of, and you can see his heart in his older, the, the later on in his reign, instead of his heart getting softer, his heart really didn't change a whole lot. He was still a good man. He did a lot of great things. He was a reformer king. Great kudos to this man, but he, he made some mistakes. And, and such is true of all of us. And, but his heart got a little hardened. And instead of seeking the Lord when he had this disease in his feet, maybe he had gout, maybe he had diabetes, and, and then finally these things are just starting to tear away at him. It's very possible. They didn't, they didn't even know what that stuff was back then. We know now what it is. Could it have been gout? Could it have been diabetes? Who knows? But this happened around 872 B.C., and it's likely that he died of gangrene, perhaps due to the gout or, again, uh, perhaps diabetes. Verse 13, so Asa rested with his fathers. He died in the 41st year of his reign, around 871, 870 B.C. in that time frame. And notice verse 14, our last verse here. It says, they buried him in his own tomb, which he had made for himself in the city of David, 
And again, you can visit those tombs when we go to Israel. You'll see them right there in Zion. They're there. You can, they've unearthed them. I got pictures of them. <laughs> Walked next to them. And they laid him in the bed, which was filled with spices and various ingredients, prepared in a mixture of ointments. And they made a very great burning for him. Now, this doesn't mean uh, the Jews didn't um, uh, cremate people. But usually what they did is they would burn spices for those who they wanted to honor. They would burn spices at their, at their, at their burial. And it would be a, kind of a, an extraordinary kind of thing they would do for kings that they held in high esteem or that did really good things. They would have these burnings. They wouldn't burn his body, but they would have these spices and ointments and stuff on a bed and then they would light it and, and it would be consumed and Certainly the fragrance of it and the spectacle of it. And, and we know this to be true because in Jeremiah 34, um, verses 4, it says, Yet hear the word of the Lord, O Zedekiah, king of Judah. He was the last Judah, uh, king of Judah before they were led away in captivity in 606 B.C. by the um, uh, Babylonians. It says, Hear the word of the Lord, O Zedekiah, king of Judah. Thus says the Lord concerning you. You shall not die by the sword, you shall die in peace, as in the ceremonies of your fathers, the former kings who were before you, so they shall burn incense for you and lament for you, saying, Alas, Lord, for I have pronounced the word, pronounced the word, says the Lord. In Second Chronicles chapter 21, it says, After all of this, this is speaking of Jehoram, he was another king of Judah, it says this, and then we'll close. 2 Chronicles 21, verse 18. After all this, the Lord struck him, Jehoram, in his intestines with an incurable disease. And then it happened in the course of time, after the end of two years, that his intestines came out. I don't know about you, but that sounds really horrible. Have you had a really bad, you know, stomach bug or something like that, and you kind of felt really bad? Well, it could get a lot worse. I think this guy had it really bad. That his intestines came out because of his sickness, so he died in severe pain, and his people made no burning for him like the burning for his father. So they didn't honor him in the same way like they did Asa. They, they would make burnings for him. So a very interesting uh, chapter. And uh, he started off really well, Asa, a great reformer king. But um, isn't it true that if we've we, we got to stay in the game always in our life, in our walk with the Lord. We can't just rest on our laurels. You know, there's nothing worse than seeing a man or woman of God serving him faithfully. And I hope I'm not one of those statistics, honestly. And I pray that none of us are either. That, you know, we, we, we spend uh, many years with the Lord of fruitfulness and, 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 and wonderful things that God does. And then when we get old and we get lazy and we get careless and stupid and we do stupid things and it hurts people. And people are like, I thought you walked with the Lord. What's up? What's with all this? See, we can't let our guard down ever. And listen, when we make mistakes, is the grace of God bigger? <laughs> We're going to make mistakes. Don't let it paralyze you in fear and, and just throw in the towel. No, you, a righteous man falls down seven times, but he gets back up again. The devil wants to kick you and keep you there. You don't let him do it. You get back on your feet again and you walk like a soldier toward with Christ. You continue walking. You don't let the enemy continue to beat you into the ground. 
You continue to rest on God, your Savior, even though you may have made huge mistakes. And you know who made really huge mistakes that's in the presence of our Savior right now? David. (laughs) Most of us have never committed adultery physically and then killed someone to cover it up. I don't know, raise your hand if you got the guts, if you did anything like that, but I don't think any of us did that, right? And yet David was forgiven, and he's in, the, in God's presence. And so will we as well. Isn't that exciting? Don't ever give up, and don't be discouraged when you make mistakes, when you sin. Just confess it and move on. And let God heal you, and you just keep going. You keep going, and let the world say what they're going to say. You just keep going. Amen? Let's stand and let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight, and I pray that you bless my brothers and sisters, Lord. Thank you for them uh, just enduring this very long time together. And um, Lord, such a joy and a privilege to read your word and to uh, expound upon it and to learn from it, to grow in it, Lord. And so thank you for it, Lord. May we learn some valuable lessons in the process. We love you and we thank you, Lord. Get us all home safely and protect us on the road as we go. And bless our day tomorrow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.